Okay, well, it is now 6.30 exactly. Uh, the date is 1-5 of 2024. And welcome to the Spirit of Prophecy Church Bible Study. I've got what I think is going to be some really exciting and interesting information for you this evening. And um, we need to start with prayer. Every time we start reading the Bible, the first thing we got to do is to start with prayer because it's not just ink on paper. It is the Spirit of God. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So his word is eternal. <clears throat> and for us to understand it, <clears throat> we, have to, uh, we have to pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with us tonight. You did say that wherever two more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. <clears throat> you did say, <clears throat> excuse me, that you would show us the deep and secret things. Wisdom and might are yours. You change at the times and seasons. You removeth kings and setteth up kings. You giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. You revealeth the deep and secret things. You knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with you. And Lord, we ask you to show us the deep and secret things. <clears throat> help us to understand your word. And today, help us to understand how Jesus was the Lamb of God. We say, great and marvelous are the works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. <clears throat> Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee when thy judgments are made manifest. Lord, help me to say the right things. Don't let me say the wrong things. Show us those deep and secret things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... <clears throat> I was thinking that we would probably just pick up with where we left off, which would be Isaiah chapter 11. We stopped at Isaiah chapter 10. So in preparation, I thought I would refresh it. And I started reading, reading Isaiah chapter 11. And I got a big yawn. And I thought, eh, maybe I'm just tired of something. Maybe it's not God talking to me. And I kept reading. And then I got another big yawn, which was the Lord saying, no. This is not what I want you to talk on. And I said, all right, Lord, I'll pray again. What do you want to say tonight? And <clears throat> I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was pretty clear. Essentially, what he told me is that tonight, that doesn't necessarily mean it's live. We're on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different platforms. Facebook, YouTube, Prophecy Club. I don't know what the other one, Instagram, uh, Twitter, I don't know, several of them, like seven different platforms. <clears throat> I don't know that this person is watching now live, but what I was impressed is that there is going to be a Jew or Jews that will watch this. And they need to know that Jesus really was the Lamb of God. And so I'm going to I'm going to give you proof. I'm going to show you tonight that yes, Jesus was the Lamb of God, <clears throat> and He fulfilled Levitical covenants concerning sacrifice. So it's not going to be just one Bible verse after Bible verse 
I'm going to show you some things probably you have not seen before. So let's get started. Let me jump over here to share screen. And I think, yeah, that's a pretty good view right there. We, no, I think I want, I think I want, get the right view here. I think I want this one. <clears throat> All right. Let me pull off, if I can remember how to do this, that. Okay. So, I've got a PowerPoint, and I'm going to, I may be skipping around, so it might not go exactly slide by slide by slide. But anyway, I'm going to show you proof that Jesus really was the Lamb of God. And for those people that are watching or will be watching this in a recorded version that might be listening to me, I believe that this war with Israel, I believe the prophecies say that at the conclusion, Israel will give the Palestinians a state. But there's about to be lines drawn like there have not been lines drawn in 70 or 80 years. I mean, major, major redrawing of the maps of not only Israel, Saudi Arabia, possibly Egypt, and Jordan. And I only got that from one source, so that's not confirmed. But in my spirit, I feel like that's going to be really, really big. And I think that <clears throat> when the Palestinian state is given, shortly after that, oil will be discovered. Massive amounts of oil will be discovered in Israel. And that oil is going to do two things. It's going to make the Jews willing to fight for the land and gives them the money to build up their military. When their military is all built up, then Israel and America, well, Israel will be attacked again, said the prophecies, which I'm not covering tonight. <clears throat> then Israel will be attacked again, and Israel and America will go against most of the rest of Islam. And according to a newspaper headline given to, um, what's his name? Prophet, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, uh, John Paul Jackson. There you go. The headline was, what other secret weapons does Israel have? So I assume that Israel will pull out some kind of a secret weapon and is going to defeat Islam. I'm talking about they're going to give back all of their land from the Euphrates all the way over to the Nile. That includes about a third of Egypt and about a third of Iraq, most all, possibly all of Jordan, and a large swath of Saudi Arabia. Because both Abraham, Joshua, and Moses were all told that God is going to give them every place the sole of their foot walked. Well, Moses and the children of Israel walked all over Saudi Arabia for some 40 years. So how much of Saudi Arabia belongs to Israel? I don't know, but it's a large chunk at the very minimum. As a result of that, <clears throat> Israel is going to dwell safely in their land. I put that into a program that airs Monday. And, of course, Israel is not dwelling safely now. But that's going to be the hook in the jaw. 
massive amounts of oil found in Israel would begin to dry the wells of the surrounding nations, the surrounding Arab nations or, is, or Islamic nations. And that is going to be the hook in the jaw that draws the Russians and all of her Islamic buddies down, mostly China and India and those guys. That's the reason the Euphrates River, River dries up. I covered all this in, the, in a program. I think it airs Monday. Uh, or it might have aired even today. Anyway, um, and that's the hook in the jaw. And then Jesus will return and destroys the armies of the earth. America does not have a get out of jail free. We do not have an everlasting covenant with God. Israel, however, does. Once Israel is in their land, so says the Bible, Israel will never be uprooted again. The Bible says that even though the whole world comes down to attack Israel, they will not be victorious. So that means that any and every war that Israel fights from henceforth, Israel will be victorious. They will never be kicked out of their land. Now, this ties in with proof Jesus was the Lamb of God, and that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight. All right, so let's see which one of these I have to click to show you this. Okay. We'll start with a little bit of scripture. Leviticus 16, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy, space, holy place, within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he did not die, for I will appear in a cloud upon the mercy seat. So, God would appear in the mercy seat. And what is the mercy seat? Well, the seat is just that. It's a golden throne. Ron White said that the lid is about 600 pounds of solid gold. And but, but on top of that mercy seat where a person would sit is where the cloud of God's glory would sit. And he would speak to him from there. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the young bullock, for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches on his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle, or with the linen mitre shall be attired. These are holy garments, therefore shall he, and so put them on. And he shall take the congregation of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. The ram is for Aaron and his family. In other words, you don't approach the Ark of the Covenant and have any sin or you'll drop dead. And the two goats, that's the important part we need to get to tonight. I'm going to show you absolute positive proof that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He had to be, or let's rephrase that, he had to fulfill the vehicle covenants for him to be, and I'm going to show you that, yes, he did. So verse 7, he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, we put this in my own words. Essentially, on the Day of Atonement, they would take these two goats. They would bring them to the high priest. They cast lots. One of those goats was the scapegoat, and he was released free into the wilderness. That's what it's about to say. The blood of the other goat is put into a golden bowl. It is taken into the Holy of Holies. This is only done once a year. And then again, he had sacrificed for him and his family just to go into the room where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it says that he was to dip his finger in the blood of the goat 
and sprinkle it before the mercy seat eastward. Now, when Ron White said he found the Ark of the Covenant, he said on one side of the Ark of the Covenant was the blood of bulls and goats. On the other side was the blood of a human. He said it was the blood of only one human, but it was genetically different than all other humans on earth. I'll explain. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Now, why did he let the scapegoat go free? Well, scapegoat represented Barabbas, or it represents all of us. In other words, Jesus, his blood was taken in and put on the mercy seat westward on the other side, and his blood set us free. But we were the scapegoat. We were allowed to release free. We were allowed to go free because Jesus died for us. So once I can prove, and I can't prove it yet, I'll tell you about it. But once the, the fact comes out that the Ark of the Covenant has been found, and on the mercy seat westward, the blood of a human was found, and I'll talk about that in a second. Once that comes out, once that's made public, every person on the globe, especially to the Jews, are going to have to say, truly, this was the Lamb of God. Truly, it had to be. But the goat on the left, on the lot, which the, but the goat on which the lot failed to be the scapegoat, shall be presented alive before the Lord, that's us, to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. We got set free. And Aaron shall bring the bullet of the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make atonement for, for him himself and his house. And shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. So he has to first kill the bullock, which cleans him and his house and allows him to go into the Holy of Holies. Verse 13. He shall put incense upon the fire upon the Lord, that the, the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy, mercy seat, that is upon the testimony that he die not. I think it's interesting that the mercy seat had to have a cloud of incense to cover it. Do you remember when Jesus was crucified, the sun went dark? That's when Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Because God had to turn his back because upon Jesus at that point, God put the sin of the world past, present, and future. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and shall sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. So on the eastward side was the blood of bulls and goats. But on the west side was the blood of a human, only one human, but it was genetically different than all of the human on earth, blood on earth. I'll explain. Sprinkle it with the mercy seat eastward. And shall before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. Okay? In the blood, seven times. That means there has to be at least seven drops of Jesus' blood on the mercy seat westward. Has to be. Or... He didn't fulfill the Levitical covenants concerning sacrifice. And that would make him not the real Lamb of God. But once it comes out that, yes, his blood was found on the mercy seat westward, then it's going to confirm he is the, 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 the Son of God. Now, this is a drawing. I want you to look at it. 
the Bible says that the, his the 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 sins or the guilty party uh Jesus had what he was crucified the reason is crucified in three different languages above him and this was Jesus on the cross and this is the only drawing I know of that has it right because the heart is on the left side over here on this side and we believe that the soldier was probably right-handed walked up and ran a soldier in his left chest going directly into his heart and that's the reason blood and water came out because when a person dies the platelets separate and the blood is appear to be blood and water and that's what the bible says came out then it ran down here where you can see it over here same thing over here so it ran down here and the bible says that was a great earthquake when he died and the rocks were rent or cracked we know now that about 600 years before this event that jeremiah hid the ark of the covenant in a stone box with a fully covered stone lid on top of it about 600 years before but god arranged for the crack first of all god arranged for the the, the ark of the covenant to be put in exactly the right place 600 years before arranged for the center cross hole to be dug at exactly the right place arranged for the blood to come out of jesus body exactly at the right place come down exactly to the right place on the rocks the rocks were broken and it was somewhere some 13 to 18 feet below this as i recall and then when it dropped on the lid of the ark of the covenant a stone lid the stone lid broke it broke open, allowing the blood to drip on the mercy seat westward. Okay? Now, can I prove the Ark of the Covenant's been discovered? No, I can't. Can I prove that the blood of Jesus is on the west side? No, I can't. But Ron White was told by the angel that came into him when he was in the cave, and he said that when the Antichrist comes out with his ten man's commandments then god is going to reveal the real ark of the covenant and the real ten commandments to refute him remember i told you august 8th 2015 saturday night i said lord i don't have anything to say for the sunday morning sermon what do you want to say and i heard words and said this is the time of miracles as the judgment hits so are my miracles miracles like no one has seen going back to adam and eve you tell them I will never leave them nor forsake them. And as the devil shows up, I'm going to meet him inch for inch, step for step, pound for pound. Everything he does, I'm going to meet him. Meaning, when the devil pulls out his Ten Commandments, then God is going to pull out his Ten Commandments. He's going to show them the real Ten Commandments. Now, I talked to Ron about these. Let me jump over here for just a second. Let's do this. When I had Ron White stay in my home, I believe that would have been about 1989 or 90. I said, tell me about the Ten Commandments. He said, well, they're two stone tablets. They're made of red granite. As I recall, he said, they're like, I don't know how to tell you. I don't know. 18 by 24. I'm just guessing. I, I don't recall. That, that, that was not important detail that i got at the time he said but he said when you see them 
you will absolutely positively know that nothing on this earth could have created. We can't make them today. He said, so you take two red granite squares. He said they were square, as I recall. Um, and he said, if you take your finger, it was literally like a finger our size. He said, except for it was like burning hot. And he said, if you were to take like a, a warm plate of butter and just sign your name, just like you're signing a check. And it was an ancient Hebrew. He said, that's what it looked like. In other words, when you made an upstroke and you stopped, you went down, it would leave a little ridge there. When you made a downstroke, it would leave a little ridge there. When you crossed a T or you dotted an I, there would be a little ridge there. And you can feel the, the front of the these Ten Commandments and you can feel that this literally was written in solid red granite by the finger of God that melted them as it touched them. Written on both sides, two of them. Amazing. And he said, when you see them, he said, now I believe there'll be a time when we will be able to sell replicas and let the world see and actually have their own replica of the Ten Commandments. You talk about... I mean, put me on the list. I want to see them. Um, when I was at uh, Mount Sinai, <laughs> I kept my eyes peeled. I kept praying, Lord, show me the broken Ten Commandments. They might be here someplace. You know, and show me. But nevertheless, I would have loved to have seen them. All right, so let me go back here. Let's see. Uh, I think I clicked this. Yeah, okay. So the three signs saying why the person was crucified. Jesus here, the sword goes in his left chest to his heart, because the heart's on the left chest. The blood comes down, the rocks crack, and it falls on the mercy seat or the top. It goes through the stone lid. The stone lid opens up and allows it to drop on the top of the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant. Now, let me go on here, see if I can do this right. <clears throat> Now, this is, I looked it up. This is what a Roman sword might look like. And it, all of the other pictures I see mostly have them on this side. That's not correct. I think it was on this side because the heart's on this side. He was beaten on his head, beard pulled out, crown of thorns, 39 lashes, scourged, and crucified. Here's another drawing of what the Ark of the Covenant probably looks like. Throne of God, mercy seat. And there was a scepter like this. Now, he told me that this is not exactly correct. He said, this drawing isn't. He said, I did not release exactly what it looks like in case someone decided that they wanted to make themselves a copy. He said, but nevertheless, this is close enough for you to get the idea. So this is the mercy seat. Basically, this is a big chair. Okay, so this comes down on the box, all golden covered with made of shittim wood. So here's the Ten Commandments in here. And then these poles here never come out of it. Here's another drawing of it. And a different drawing of it. And a different drawing of it. And they, these, some enterprising person actually made a box made of wood, not gold, and sprayed it with gold paint just to help us to see what it really looks like. In other words, it's the throne of God. As you can see, a person would sit right here and then lean back here 
It's the throne of God. It's a throne. The throne of God on the earth. Exodus 25.10 says that to make an ark of shit and wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shall make upon it a crown of gold round about. This is not what the Ark of the Covenant looks like. No. Ron said that's that's not what it looks like. That's, that's incorrect. This is a picture of Ron and another guy down in the area, down in a cave where they found the Ark of the Covenant. Not the cave where the Ark of the Covenant is, but this was in the process of digging. This is another picture. Now, to me, I think that gives him a lot of credibility because who would go down into a cave, take a picture, just to tell a big, long story? Exodus 25, 17, Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half the length. Anyway, we covered that. And then, the covering of the mercy seat shall be with the wings, and their faces shall look one toward another. And if you back up, let me back up here, right here. Okay, so... This would be the wings here and here, and the wings stretch around over to here, form the back of the chair. Here's another wing. Here's another wing. And then the cherubs or the angels then face the Ark of the Covenant. So that's real close. He said, now, of course, under this, it's just a box. He said, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant weighs about 600 pounds. And I said, so how'd you get it off? He said, I didn't. He said, two angels came into the room and lifted the, the lid off so I could see inside. And I believe him. Okay, Again, I've been inside a cave there. I cannot guarantee. Matter of fact, I probably couldn't find it again if I had to. My life depended on it. But, I mean, it was 1991. But I have checked out his story, and Leslie and I believe that he actually did find the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, okay, so those are the scriptures. This is a picture that he took of the Ark of the Covenant. He said, every time I would try to take a picture, it was all blurred out. So he took and overlaid it, and he drew it. So this is like the face of the angel. Here's the face of the angel. This is like a wing of the angel. This is the scepter. This is the mercy seat. Uh, the back of the head here, the back of the head here, the, the back of the wing here. Now, I understand that there is another clear photograph of the Ark of the Covenant, and I'd love to be able to show it to you, but I don't have it. So, maybe down the line. Maybe down the line. Ron White said that the time would come when you would be taken down into the cave, and you'll be able to show, be shown cross hole, cross hole, cross hole, crack, the crack coming down where the blood went down. You'll be able to show, be shown the stone box that the Ark of the Covenant was in, and you'll be able to actually see some of the blood. He said they have video of them looking down the microscope at the blood. Now let's talk about the blood. Okay, so why would Jesus' blood be different from any other human blood? Well, who was the mom? Who was the dad? Okay, well, we know the Holy Spirit was the dad. We know Mary was the mom. Sure enough, most all everyone else's blood on earth has two sets of chromosomes. 23 from the male. Let me jump back over here so you can see me here. Let me go full screen. Okay. 
23 from the male, 23 from the female, and then you have X or Y that determines male or female. He said this blood only had one set of chromosomes. And he had them, I believe it was Galbraith's Laboratory in Tennessee, I believe it was Nashville. He said he had them reconstituted. I said, what is reconstituted? He said, that's where they take the blood. He said, I'd scrape the blood up in one of these little film canisters, you know, where your film used to come into it. Remember the heart before we had digital? And he said, I scraped some blood into one of those canisters and I had them analyze it. Reconstituting it is where they would took distilled water and then they put it into a test tube and just had it like just shake, go round and round like this for about 24 hours. Then they put it under the microscope. And that's when they saw it only has one set of chromosomes. And he said, and the somatids were still alive. Meaning that the blood, even though it's some 2,000 years old, is still alive. Well, that makes sense because Jesus said, I kill, I make alive. I wound, I heal, and neither can any deliver out of my hand. Jesus has the keys of hell and death. No one takes my life, he said, I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I take it back up. So in Jesus' hand is the power of life and death. So if he wants his blood to be alive 2,000 years later, it's alive 2,000 years later. And by the way, if a person can't show you that they live forever, then how can you believe that they can help you to live forever? So in that his blood, the summitids were still alive after it was 2,000 years old and dried, been dried for some 2,000 years. They reconstituted and it's still alive. That's, that's pretty big. My book, that's really big. Okay, let's go back to this now. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to skip that. This is a really good picture because it kind of has an overview I need to point out some things. The Golgotha, which I'm going to show you a picture of here in just a second, which, by the way, this now has been destroyed, thanks to probably, who knows, some evil person. And then this is the stone that was rolled in front of this tomb here. Okay, I'll show you that picture in a minute. I'll explain it. And then the, the cross, the blood the crack where the blood uh, leaked down and dripped on the mercy seat westward. And then he was buried here in Joseph of Arimathea's um, uh, tomb. So I thought that was, that was a real good picture to show you. This is a picture of the tabernacle. And then the Holy of Holies is over here. Well, the blood, blood of the, the bulls and goats was put on the east side, whereas Jesus' blood was put on the west side. Of course, again, that's not the right picture of the Ark of the Covenant. Shows you they haven't listened to or believed what Ron White said. Now, let me talk to you about mathematical impossibility. According to, what was the guy's name? Evidence that demands a verdict was the name of the book. Um... Josh McDowell, he said it's a mathematical impossibility that Jesus 
was not the Lamb of God. He said, because in his birth, death, burial, and resurrection, 109 prophecies were perfectly fulfilled. He said, but if you were to take the entire state of Texas, fill it two feet deep. Let me jump back over here so you can see me. Fill it two feet deep with silver dollars. Fly someone over at two o'clock in the morning. They land and they have one chance to reach down and pick up the silver dollar that you've scratched your initials on. That's the chances in only seven of the 109 prophecies being fulfilled in any one human in all of human history. So let me go back to that. Out of the 109 prophecies, seven would have the thing with the silver because it said Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was born where the sacrificial lambs are born, not just in a manger, a specific manger. He was then wrapped in swaddling clothes like they do for the sacrificial lambs for the temple. He was numbered among thieves. He was hung between two of them. Then I looked up this on the internet, and I'm I'm not going to cover all of this, but this gives you the prophecy and then the fulfillment over here. Here's another one. That he was virgin born, he'd be born in Bethlehem, fly to Egypt uh, to escape the massacre of the infants of the tribe of Judah, called Emmanuel, ministry in Galilee. Every one of those 109 prophecies perfectly fulfilled. Here's another way. Again, you can look it up. There's lots of them. Just type in prophecies of Jesus and, and it'll have you. All right, now let's go to proving a little bit in a different way. John 19, 17. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. I'm going to show you that in just a second. Where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put on the cross, writing, Jesus was Jesus Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Let me see if I can do this. That way you can still see me and still read it. Okay. This title read, Many the Jews for the place where Jesus crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but he said, he said, I am king of the Jews. Now, let me say something. For some 2,000 years, the sons of Abraham have had this hung on their head that they crucified Jesus. And the rabbis tell them the story that the Bible said that they would say. So consequently, most of the Jews do not believe that Jesus really was the Lamb of God, that he's the Messiah, that he takes their sins away. But who was it that told them that? Well, the Bible Bible says that it was the rabbis. Do you remember when Jesus came down, excuse me, you remember Moses came down from Mount Sinai having the Ten Commandments. He looked down and they were worshiping a molten calf. That would be a golden calf. Well, the scriptures give the name of that calf, and it's called Moloch. In later scriptures, it's also called Baal, B-A-A-L. And, and Moses had the people get their swords go into the tents of all of those people that worship Moloch and Baal and kill every one of them. The Bible says 
They killed 3,000 Jews that day. Why? Because Moloch and Baal is the most evil of evil of evil religions. They believe in child sacrifice, human sacrifice. They stop at nothing to rule the planet. I cannot prove what I'm about to say, but it is my suspicion that it was actually Moloch and Baal worshipers that were ruling Israel then, just like they ruled the pharaohs, just like they rule America today in most of our high government and military positions. These evil people rule and reign over everything. They told Benjamin Fulford that we have ruled this planet for thousands of years and we'll destroy it rather than give it up. My guess is that while they were rabbis, they really were Moloch and Baal worshipers. And I say that because I want to take a little bit of the blame off of the Jews that may be watching this. And I want to say that in America, there are pastors that are teaching error, in my opinion. Those that are telling people that there's going to be a pre-trib rapture are teaching error. So I want to let you know, pastors in the Christian church sometimes also teach error. I also want to let you know that rabbis in the Jewish faith also sometimes teach error. Sometimes they teach error because they haven't studied it. Sometimes they teach error because maybe they've had their arm twisted, or maybe you've got to believe in that. Just like one denomination makes all of the pastors in that denomination sign a statement of belief every year, and one of those statements is, is that you believe that there is a pre-trib rapture. So consequently, sometimes people have their arms twisted and they aren't free to really preach the truth. I believe that what really called for the crucifixion of Jesus, though the Bible says they were rabbis, and they were, I believe they were probably Moloch and Baal worshippers, meaning they were evil, like evil, like evil, 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 the evil, same evil that controlled the pharaohs, Moses in his day, the same evil that controls Biden and his people in our government today. And just like we don't like some of the things that Biden is doing, I believe that in those days they followed the rabbis and the rabbis were telling them incorrect things as our pastors today are teaching us incorrect things. Now, I say that because I want to free you, if you're Jewish and you're watching this, I want to free you from this guilt that you killed Jesus or the rabbis killed Jesus. I want to let you know that it was probably Moloch and Baal worshipers. But I also want to let you know that if you'll ask Jesus to forgive your sins, there will be a peace that will come to your heart like you've never felt in your life. You absolutely positively can know for certain with one simple phrase, one simple prayer, you can find out for real, for yourself, that Jesus really was the Lamb of God, is the Messiah, soon to return to the earth. Simply say, Jesus, forgive my sins. A peace will come over you that you've never felt before. 
We were in Dubai. We had just been out to the Sand Hills on a, a little bit of an RR time when we were ministering. <clears throat> and driving back, I turned to the driver and I said, May I talk to you about religion? Sure. Because I've heard that, you know, you can't just talk to anybody. And so I began to ask him about his Muslim religion. Finally, I got to it and I said, in all of your prayers, because these guys get on their face five times a day, they spend 10 minutes with their forehead touching their little prayer mat five times a day. Talk about fanatics that are really seeking God. They're just seeking the wrong God. So I said, in all of your prayers, all of your memorizing the Quran, have you ever felt a peace in your heart? He said, no. I said, well, when you accept Jesus, there is a peace. The Bible says it's a peace that passes all understanding. Comes to your heart as a confirmation that your name was written in the book of life. A confirmation that Jesus has forgiven your sins and that you're now part of his kingdom. Would you like to receive that peace? And he said, yes. And I said, it's simple. It doesn't have to be long. doesn't have to be complicated. I said, just say, Jesus, forgive my sins. This guy almost started slapping the tears away. He'd never felt the peace. He'd never felt that in his life. So if you are Jewish or any other religion, and you're watching this tonight, I want to say, Jesus really was the Lamb of God. His blood was arranged by God to have a sword go in his heart, release blood and water. God arranged for the Ark of the Covenant to be underneath Jesus 600 years earlier and arranged for the rocks to crack at exactly the right place, exactly the right time, so that his blood ran down that crack. And then the stone lid that the Ark of the Covenant was in God broke that lid at precisely the right place so that the blood would drip on the mercy seat westward because that's what Leviticus 16, 14 says has to happen for the sins of Israel to be forgiven. If Jesus was truly the Lamb of God, his blood did land on the Ark of the Covenant. Ron Wyatt says that it did. I've not been in the cave where it is. I've not seen the Ark of the Covenant, but I believe that there will be a time it'll come out. Remember the scripture in Revelation where it says a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. We know that the barley represents the Jews. We know that the wheat represents the Gentiles. So what it's saying, a measure of wheat for a penny means one measure of wheat for a penny Three measures of barley for a penny. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. I believe it's saying in the last days, three measures of Jews will accept Jesus to only one measure of Gentiles will accept Jesus, meaning three-fourths of the people from now to the return of Jesus that get saved will be Jews. And I believe right now there is a Jew watching, be it live or be this recorded, and I'm going to pray 
that right now the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. Open your eyes and let you see that Jesus really was the Lamb of God, died on the cross, His blood fell on the Ark of the Covenant westward, and if you'll simply ask Him to forgive your sins, boom, that peace that passes all understanding will come into your heart. All questions will go away. There will be no more questions in your heart whether Jesus really is the Messiah, whether Jesus is the Lamb of God, whether Jesus can forgive your sins. You'll know. Simply say it. Jesus, forgive my sins. Doesn't hurt. Doesn't cost anything. Your teeth don't fall out. No one's going to beat you up. It's just between you and God. Say it. Jesus, forgive my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, be my God. I believe you are the Lamb of God. And I want to be the scapegoat. Because you took your blood into the Holy of Holies and you dripped it on the Ark of the Covenant. According to the fulfillment, I want to be the scapegoat. I want your blood to set me free. That's what we're talking about tonight. Doesn't hurt. Doesn't cost anything. Your teeth don't fall out. No one's going to beat you up. No one's going to be... Look, if that peace that passes all understanding comes on you, and it will, when you sincerely ask Jesus to come into your heart, it will. It will. I can tell you it's come on me many times. Now, there's more you should do. That's true. It's only a first step. You should get involved in a church. You should start reading your King James Bible. You should seek after getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's lots more. But it starts with simply saying, Jesus, forgive my sins. I was playing racquetball with a Russian buddy of mine. He was not a Christian. We were walking into the court at the time, and I simply said, just say, Jesus, be my God. He said, Jesus, be my God. It's as simple as that. It starts there. That's not all, but it starts there. Jesus, be my God. Jesus, forgive my sins. And that peace that passes all understanding comes on your heart. I remember when I was nine years old, no one told me this was going to happen. I was nine years old that Wednesday I had accepted Jesus into my heart. That was confirmed Sunday morning in front of the congregation. And then that evening, because we didn't have a baptistry in that church, we went out to another church. And that evening, the pastor baptized me. No one told me this was going to happen. That water was cold. But as soon as I came up out of that water, I was warm. And there was a peace that filled my heart that stayed with me for three days. Jesus confirmed to me that he accepted me into his kingdom. That like the scapegoat, he confirmed to me that Jesus did drip his blood 
on the mercy seat westward so that I could be the scapegoat, so that I could go free and have all my sins forgiven. That's the real powerful part that I wanted to bring to you tonight. And if you have just received Jesus for the first time, there's a couple of things I'd recommend you do. One of them, I'd recommend that you email me. I guess I have to give you the email. I prefer to just show it because if I say it, then bots find it out there and I get all these other emails from around the world. So email me at... Um, Contact, you know that little symbol, the A symbol, prophecyclub.com. Contact prophecyclub.com. Email me and say, I just received Jesus. I don't care if this is years in advance when this is recording and you're watching, it doesn't make any difference. Okay, so let's go back to the scriptures. Ah, let's see. <clears throat> this is a picture I took. Now, this has been destroyed right now, but this is actually Golgotha. Let me blow this up so you can see it a little bit bigger. I want, yeah, like, no, I want this one there. See the eyes? And then there's the nose. There's the nose and then the mouth. Well, it was right next to this was where Jesus was crucified. The garden tomb. So we went to the garden tomb. The Bible says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from top throughout. They said, Therefore among themselves, Let us not rend rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, and that the scripture might be fulfilled, which say, They parted my remnant among them for my vesture. They did cast lots. Even that detail was all fulfilled. Then the day Jesus died, Jesus knowing that all these things are now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, I said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it on a pot of hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Meaning, as Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. I lay it down and I take it up. He gave his life as a ransom for all of us. Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation and the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Why would their legs be broken? Why would that make them die faster? Well, the way you die on a cross is not from lack of blood because I believe that when they put... All right, got to go back here to, to full screen to show you. That when they nailed him to the cross, it was not here because they're up there for typically two or three days. And if I got a nail right there, I could just rip through that. I believe they put the nail here. Because that way, if you look that up on the bones, you can't pull off of that. You can pull your, your hand off, but you ain't going to get that off. So I believe it was there. And then I'd have to show you a different place on the foot where he was actually nailed the cross. But he, he couldn't get down. 
So the way, what killed them on the cross was asphyxiation. They actually got to where they couldn't breathe anymore because what they would do is they would push up, they would go, I mean, if you just, you know, we've never experienced this, but if you were hung up by your, your hands, after a little while, you discover that you have to, every time it has to push up. Well, if their legs are below them and nailed, they can use their legs to push them up, push them up to get another breath. But when they broke the legs, then they could no longer push up and they would, it would only be a short time till all the muscles are given out and they just can't get their breath again. And finally, it's just, they asphyxiate. They just die from lack of oxygen. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. Now, I don't think that's an accident. I think that God knew exactly, I think Jesus knew exactly the right time he should die because the scriptures say not a bone of his body would be broken. Why is that important? Well, because when Jesus was born in the area where sacrificial lambs for the temple were born, they wrapped those lambs in swaddling cloth, which are like 18 to 24 inch long strips of cloth so that they're bound like this so they won't scratch their face because if they get one scratch on them, much less a broken bone, they're now not perfect. And so all of a sudden that would remove their eligibility to be a sacrificial lamb. I don't think it was an accident that Jesus was born where the sacrificial lambs were born and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes like the Lamb of God, so that he wouldn't scratch himself. I think that all his whole life, he never slipped and fell. He never got a skinned knee, a skinned elbow. He never got cut. He never got anything broken. Nothing wrong with him for the some 33 years he lived on the earth. So when they came to him, had they broken his legs, that would have disqualified him to be the sacrifice. So instead... He is already dead, so they didn't have to break the legs. So then they ran a, side, a spear into his side. Why? Because his blood had to come out, and then the rocks were rent. It had to go down. Those rocks fall on the Ark of the Covenant westward for him to fulfill Leviticus 16, 14, saying that the high priest had to take the blood of the goat into the Holy of Holies, dip his finger into it, and sprinkle it before the mercy seat eastward seven times. So that means for Jesus to be the Lamb of God, his blood had to land on the west side at least seven drops. And when we get to see the Ark of the Covenant, and I assume we'll get to see that pretty soon, if we are in the tribulation, like some people believe, that would mean that probably pretty soon we're going to start seeing it. And then we're probably going to be able to see the blood of Jesus on the west side of the Ark of the Covenant, be able to see, maybe even have a replica of the Ten Commandments. Wouldn't that be awesome? Replica of the Ten Commandments. I mean, you talk about soul winning. Here, let me show you. Here's, here's a replica of the Ten Commandments. Let them feel that. When they can see that this was written by the finger of God, it's written in ancient Hebrew. That's not modern Hebrew. It's ancient Hebrew, the way they wrote in the days of Moses. All right, so a spear pierced his side, forth came out blood 
and water, and that dripped on the Ark of the Covenant. Because the scripture said, a bone of him shall not be broken, because that would have ruined him for sacrifice. He wouldn't have been perfect anymore. And they should look upon him whom they have pierced. So all this is just the hand of God. Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Uh, I think this is some of the most awesome stuff. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, secretly for the fear of Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He gave him, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which I'll skip that part. And there was a garden in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein never was a man laid. All of this was the hand of God. This was the hand of God so that we could get our sins washed away. Now, when we were in Israel, one of the many trips, I don't know, 11 or 12 trips, we used to be tour hosts where we'd take groups of people over there every year. Hadn't done it now in years. Anyway, this is the tomb of Jesus. This is me standing right here. Now, before we got up there to look at this, I explained to our group that there is a spike, and it's about as big around as that big bottom knuckle right there. And there's an iron spike driven into the stone, and it's still there because that area is so dry, it doesn't even rust. And I said, I'm going to go over and I'm going to put my finger there to show you, but I'm not going to say anything because I didn't want any of the other people to know what I was talking about because Ron White had showed us this. So that's me pointing to where the uh, spike sealed the tomb. When I was a kid, I used to think, well, well, they would probably be sealed with wax. No, they were afraid that Jesus' disciples would come in and steal the body. So they rolled a stone in front of it, and then they sealed it. And they sealed it right here. They ran a big spike in there, so that the stone could not be ruled, uh, r- rolled back. But if you're there, and I'm going to show you a picture of close-up foot. Now, a couple of things I need to show you. So you see this trough right here? Ron White said he found the stone, I believe it was like about 12 foot down, located right here. He said he found that with uh, subsurface interface radar. The, the stone that goes there is still there. As I recall, he said it was about 12 foot across. I'm not sure of that. But anyway, as you look here, and I'll show you pictures in just a second, you can see that it's a trough there. And when the stone rolls to the right, it rolls up against this embutment here and stops. So then when the spike was driven right there, that would keep them from rolling the stone back like this. I'm going to show you some other pictures here in just a minute. Here's another picture. Here's the trough where the the door rolled, and then it stopped right here. This is where they dug down when they first found it, and they broke into the chamber there, which they've patched that all up now. Okay, so another picture. Here's Here's a picture of the spike. Now, I've got a close-up of it. When you're there, you can see that it's just sheared off. Still there. That iron spike. Who would notice that? Ron White, the archaeologist, the biblical archaeologist. So you're looking at proof that the Bible is true, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. 
Now, here's the picture I took. The picture to the right over here is where the stone rolled. In other words, when it rolled this way to the left, it opened up, gave you access to this tomb. When it rolled to the right, then it rolled right over here and it stopped against this embutment here. Stopped there, and then the angel drove the spike in someplace up here. Here's a different way to look at it. Now we're looking back. Here's the embutment. Here's where the stone rolls like that. This is another tomb in the area to show you that's the common way they would do it. They would roll a stone over the entrance like that to keep out grave robbers because I mean, it would take two or three pretty strong people to move that stone. And unless they really, really want it in, they're not going to be able to get in. And of course, this is me and Leslie the last time we were there. As you can see, my hair has gotten a little bit more gray. This is another wide picture. There's the embutment. Stone rolls here. Another picture. This is the layout of the inside of the tomb. Guests could come in here. We believe Jesus was laid here. And I, as I recall, this here would be the head and then his feet would be down here. This is a picture. In other words, feet down here, head here. No man had laid in that tomb before Jesus. Another picture, feet here, head back up here. Feet here, head back up behind me. Jesus is not here, he is risen. That's what was written on the door. <clears throat> Uh, the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene, early when it was yet dark under the sepulchre. Seeth a stone taken away from the sepulchre. And she then runneth, coming to Simon Peter and to the disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Now, it's important because it says, and he's stooping down, looking in. If you back up and look at some of the pictures, well, if you hear, let me, there was one of some guy getting in. You have to stoop to get in it. There you see this person, they're stooping to get in. This is, see, uh, this lady here would have to stoop to get in. So all of the things all match up that this really is the tomb of Jesus. Then come a sign of Peter falling, went to the sepulcher to see if the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple which came to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that must rise, he must rise again from the dead. Well, he had told them. It wasn't written in the scripture, but he had told them he's going to come back from the dead. Mary stood without the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre and seeth two angels in white setting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto the woman, Why weepest thou? And she said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she had said thus, he turned, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Robona, which is to say, Master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. 
but go to my brethren. Now, hang on. Why did he say, I've not ascended to my father yet? Because when Jesus returns, let me back up. When he goes to the marriage supper of the Lamb, I talked about this in the program the last couple of days. When he goes to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus is brought before the ancient of days and is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is that which shall not be destroyed. That all people, nations, and languages shall serve and obey him. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. And he had a vesture dipped in blood, and that blood was his own blood. So he had to go to heaven and drip his blood on the Ark of the Covenant in heaven and to drip his blood upon his wedding garment because his wedding garment would be used. Remember, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he sat upon it. <laughs> I started quoting the wrong verse. Behold, a white horse. Upon him is a faithful and true, and righteousness he that judge and make war. Skipping on down, it says, and on his vesture and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He gets that at the marriage supper. At the marriage supper, he puts on his wedding garment that has his blood dripped on it. Then he comes forth and serves us for about four months. Now you may be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. So he's wearing a wedding garment that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords with his blood dripped on it. He serves us. Yes. Do you remember when Peter said, no, you, you will not ever wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I wash not your feet, you have no place with me. Because in the kingdom of God, others are first. We're not first. So Jesus, by example, will come forth probably and wash our feet. He will definitely serve us. And then four months later, we're given white, uh, well, white horses along with Jesus. And we get to return behind Jesus, first to Jesus, the two angels with the sharp sickles, the armies in heaven, and then those people that were ready that got to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's when he uses the morning star. Now let's back to this. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and she had spoken these things unto her. Then Jesus showed them his hands and his side, and said, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Of course, then Thomas comes along and says, Except I see the hands in the, the print of the nails, put my finger to the print of the nails and thrust my hand in your side, I will not believe. After eight days again, disciples were within, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came. The doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said to them, My Lord and my God. Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. Blessed are they which have not seen and yet believed. In this program, I have given you more than most people have to believe. 
as he says, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are they that are not seen and yet believed. If you've not asked Jesus to forgive your sins, I strongly recommend that you do so. I strongly encourage you to ask Jesus to come into your heart. Ask him. He wants to come into your heart. That's the reason he sends the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven vials, all of this mayhem down on the earth. He's trying to remove our excuses of self-independence, saying, yeah, I got a job, I got a house, I got food, I got water, I got a dry place to sleep, I'm fine, I don't need Jesus. So Jesus is pulling the rug out from under the world, slowly, as to veil upon a woman, until finally, if they're going to accept Jesus, they will. That's the reason the angel flies through the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. And I believe that happens the day before the Russians attack America, saying, fear God and give glory in him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him and made heaven the things, heaven and the seas and the fountains of waters. <coughs> okay, let's see. Let's see. Let's see, where do I want to go now? Where do I want to go? Okay. Okay. A couple more, we're about done. <coughs> so let's jump to this. This is Revelation 21.1. And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is not Revelation. Uh, what was it here? Let's see. See if it tells me. It's not going to tell me. Okay. Let's go on, though. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wire, showed him himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two other disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I go fishing. They said unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered to him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were able to draw in it the multitude of fishers. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying that with me you can't win any souls. But if you'll cast the nets my way, I will cause the fish to come into your nets. I think that Jesus wants every one of us to be winning souls as many as possible. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved sent to him, Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, cast himself into the sea, and the other disciples came into the little ship. And they were not far from the land, but it was about 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to the land, they saw fires of coal there and fish laid on there and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. 
Simon Peter went up and drew to the net the land full of great fishes, 150 and 3. A lot of people think that 153 number is how many nations will be nations when Jesus returns. My understanding is that the last count, there's 209 nations. So if that's accurate, there's going to be a few things change. 153, and for all there were so many, yet was the net not broken. Jesus said in them, come and dine. And none of the disciples thus ask him, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. <coughs> then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said to them, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said to him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said, Feed my sheep. He said to them the third time. Why did he say it this the third time? Because he denied Jesus three times. So he was having him confess Jesus three times to remove that. Simon, son of Jonas, loveth thou me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when thou wast young. Now, I'll skip that part. Okay, so let me give you the scriptures, and we'll close with this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you have not already believed in Jesus, if you have not already asked him to forgive your sins, it's simple. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't hurt. Your teeth don't fall out. It's as simple as that. You can be a scapegoat instead of your blood being sacrificed. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. The Bible says that before we were born, we were sinners. It's as if when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, a virus entered into them and passed down through the generations and the only way to kill that virus is by accepting the blood of Jesus. The only way to kill that sin, the only way to be set free, is to ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved. Now that means saved from the burning, saved from being tossed into the lake of burning to fire and brimstone, saved from having your body and your soul destroyed. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Meaning, we can't give enough to the church. We cannot buy our way in heaven. We cannot notice, We cannot work our way into heaven. It's a free gift. Okay, since having eternal life is a free gift, how do we get it? Here it is. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, right here, the Lord Jesus... That means ask Jesus to forgive your sins. If you confess with your mouth that you believe in the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but the mouth, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That saying, it's not enough to say you believe in Jesus, but not really believe it in your heart. 
it's not really to, enough to believe it in your heart, but never actually say it. See, a Christian can't deny Jesus. A Muslim, they can deny their God. Buddhists can deny their God. Doesn't make any difference. They're lost anyway. But if someone comes to you and says, are you a Christian? You can't say no. You have to say yes. Finally, Acts 2.38. Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So if you have just accepted Jesus, if you just ask him to forgive your sins, then you should follow one to be baptized by a holy servant of God. That means holy dunked where every hair on your head is wet. And you it's a picture of you dying with Christ and then arising to a new life. That's, that's what it really is. So I recommend that you go and find a church where you can get baptized and get baptized. I also recommend you get involved in a church, even if you're watching right now. I know a lot of people say, well, Stan, you are my church. I, I understand. I understand. But I still recommend you get involved in a local church. Yeah, but you don't understand. These churches are so bad. I understand. That's why we started the Spirit of Prophecy Church, which, by the way, if you want to, I encourage you to support Spirit of Prophecy Church and Prophecy Club. And you can do that by going to prophecyclub.com and make a donation. Maybe by the time you see this, we'll have the QR code up where you can make a donation. But I still recommend you get involved in a local church. The reason we started the Spirit of Prophecy Church, it's basically for prophecy students that know their Bible better than the typical Christian. Because the typical prophecy student finds it very difficult to go to a pre-trib church that is a 501c3 government corporation that is teaching out of the NIV, the not inspired version of the Bible, and is very compromised. But I still say it's better to go there, even though it's a compromised church, keep looking, try to find one, pray God will send you to the right one. It's still better to go to a compromised church than not at all. What? Wait a minute. Hebrews 10.25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You and I need our other brothers and sisters. <laughs> There's a time where we need a babysitter, but it's not for that. There's a time where we need to minister, that we need to be a help. There's a time when we need help. There's a time when we need someone to walk up and say, brother, can I have a word? And they help us <laughs> to make some changes. So let me summarize this evening and then pray for you. <clears throat> if you're watching this, I encourage you to ask Jesus to forgive your sins. You will feel a peace coming to your heart you have never felt in your life. A peace, the Bible says, that passes all understanding. That is the confirmation you've been saved. That Jesus has washed your sins away, written your name in the book of life, and you should then follow on to get baptized, get yourself involved in a church. Dear Heavenly Father,
I thank you for your word. I thank you for all of these people watching, be it recorded or live. And I thank you that you'll speak to their heart, every one of them, to ask you to forgive their sins so that they can feel that peace that passes all understanding come to their heart so they will know for a surety that they have been saved, blood washed, and can spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, we finished nine minutes early. That's a pretty good Bible study. Haven't even looked out here to see if there's... Okay. Okay. I guess that's it. I've got some guests here. I guess I'll go spend time with our guests. God bless you.